Hi, I'm Michelle. A random meeting in the street with my fabulous, friendly neighbour Liz resulted in the creation of this podcast. Finding ourselves at the same stage of life, we've got to know each other over cups of tea or maybe something stronger on my sofa. With seven kids and stepkids between us, we've been around the block a bit and are now redefining ourselves in midlife as empty nesters. Join us on the sofa for a chat. There's always room for one more. Saying goodbye to your child when they start university is never easy. You may have been dreading that moment for months, or even years. You might feel a sense of relief that the mood swings and the eye rolls will be at a distance. Whether you have a version of Harry Enfield's iconic teen character, Kimin, at home, or you're saying goodbye to a mini-me, there's going to be a space left at the dinner table, and a part of you that's leaving. Things are going to change for you, for your spouse and their siblings. Becoming an empty nester can be both exciting and sad, but there is so much more you can do in advance to make the transition easier for all of you. It's probably best not to talk about how their bedroom will now become a fabulous new craft room or let their younger sister or brother plan decorating as they scheme to move into a bigger space. First one out the door or last one to leave. It's what they were always destined to do. And you should give yourself a pat on the back for getting them there. As you change from manager to consultant in your child's life, communication is absolutely key. We asked Victoria Bagnall, co-founder of Connections in Mind, to share some of her wisdom. Forget learning how to ride a bike or their first love. Sending our children off to university often feels like the most terrifying milestone in parenting. Will they remember to eat well? Will they wake up for lectures? Will their drink get spiked and they end up in the gutter? All of these scenarios and more play out in our minds because we care and because we instinctively know that their brains, especially the prefrontal cortex which houses our executive functions, the brain processes which are responsible for sound decision making, is not fully developed yet. We know that they will make mistakes, yet it's important to remember that through making these mistakes, they will learn. Watching them trip up and maybe even hurt themselves can be hard, frustrating and at times downright scary. We need to recognise our emotions here and regulate them in order to prevent ourselves from alienating them by smothering their independence At their age, autonomy, being in control of their own lives, is the thing that they crave the most. But they still need to learn how to do this well. They're not suddenly going to be able to be independent, but they are also really not going to appreciate us getting involved where we're not wanted. They will want to know we are there when we need them, on their terms, and getting that balance right is hard. The first essential step is to sit down with them and talk through how you all want this to go. Choose a time when they are well rested and fed and feel open to talking. Perhaps mention to them first that you want to chat with them about the transition to uni and schedule a time so that they can mentally prepare for it. Let them talk first. How are they feeling about it? What are they concerned about? What are their intentions and goals for university? You might be surprised 
by what they have to say. Then ask if it's okay for you to share your feelings and concerns. And when you have aired how you are feeling, discuss how to address all of these concerns. For example, if one of their concerns was that you would be calling them all the time, agree how regularly you will contact them and who will initiate the contact and what to do if they don't contact you as planned. One of your concerns might be them eating a healthy diet or getting good exercise. Ask them what would help them to maintain a healthy lifestyle and see whether you can help to provide that. Remember, some young people really benefit from doing a student cookery course before they go to uni, but others are happy eating the canteen food. Through all this, try not to force your solution on them. Remember, part of the learning process is to make bad decisions and to learn from it. But what if they make a really bad decision, I hear you say? Well, yes, that is always a big concern. I think it's really important to have thought about this beforehand and talked it through with them when you're all calm and thinking rationally. Ask them, at what stage should you feel ready to step in? At what point should you get in the car and drive up to see if they're okay without asking? Maybe even have a secret message they can send you to share that they're in a difficult space and need your support. Get that clear between you before it gets difficult and you'll feel more held and supported. Universities can often be quite far away from home and it's quite hard to get a handle on things remotely on a call or message. So discuss the benefits of having some set dates during the term where you drive up and see them and take them out for lunch. Many of our students really relish these times and look forward to them. So if your child is open to this, this would be one of my top tips. All of this can be unbelievably hard, especially for parents of children who have neurodiverse traits. You might have executive function challenges and find independence particularly difficult. At Connections in Mind, we have a team of coaches who can support students to become more independent at university whilst keeping on top of their studies. Some great suggestions there from Victoria. You can find more information on her website at www.connectionsinmind.com. But supposing they don't get the grades expected and you suddenly need to deal with disappointment and a life pivot. First, don't panic. It's not the end of the world, although it might feel like it for your child. There's loads of options and resources out there to help. Dr Dominique Thompson is a multi-award winning GP, mental health expert, TEDx speaker, author and educator. Here, she shares some of her wisdom gleaned over 20 years of frontline clinical and strategic experience, helping support and understand young people's mental health. It's such a tricky time, isn't it? Because they feel this weight of expectation and um, they're so worried often about letting people down. And especially, um, you know, this this younger generation tend to worry about that a lot, a lot more, perhaps, than, than we did a few years ago. Uh, even if they don't don't always show it. So it is really important to have those conversations to talk about, you know, what all the options might be that you will be proud of them no matter what. And that I think for me, perhaps one of the biggest messages to to talk about, um, not necessarily in terms of, well, if it all goes terribly, but more just in general at this time of life when they are, Um, perhaps leaving school and moving on to other things is talk about how they're actually building a platform or a launch pad that this bit of their life is not just you know a straight path moving from one known to an unknown 
It is actually about this sort of, uh, I think of it as if you imagine those crash mats that gymnasts used to use or probably still do use and you put them all together, you know, um, to make a sort of jigsaw crash mats and they're all building up. So they're basically putting lots of these um, pieces in place and then from that they're actually going to launch up rather than land on them. Um, and those pieces can be, you know, A level or I. IB results, um, but they're also about any volunteering they've done or um, their, you know, human people to people skills, or it might be sports and activities. And that all of those things, including where they go next, are just part of a bigger picture. It's easy for us to say with hindsight and maturity, I do often wonder if what they hear is white noise, you know, as parents to children they hear blah 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 it's like the the cartoon of the dog what what the dog is hearing and and what you're actually saying because it's just so difficult to get through to them and make them realize this is not yeah this is just a tiny part isn't it tiny part of their journey and so much more can happen as you mentioned there with social media there's such a it's so difficult you know everybody's putting up oh well done Johnny off to that's the Brigham Young and well done Celia off to this there and the other how do you how do you handle you know it's the the pressure the the, the peer pressure I don't don't think it's just parents it's It's definitely not just parents because they all you know they all tell each other instantly the results come out because they log in don't they nowadays and it's awful No, it can feel like a very public uh, experience when it used to be a relatively uh, private one initially, and then you would share what you wanted to. Um, And so I think, you know, in terms of the white noise aspect, I I know that it can feel like that, um, but they do hear what we're saying, even if they don't necessarily respond to it. Or, or even like what they're hearing at that time because it doesn't fit with their particular narrative. Mm. Um, but they do, it is important to, to just have that in the background, that uh, message that this is part of a bigger picture, um, you know, and, and that they are, it's not just that it's a, a small part of the whole journey, it's that this is, they're building a platform from which they launch themselves. It's not just, oh, you'll have, you know, you'll have forgotten this in a few years time. They they won't have, we all kind of um, remember different bits, but it's, it's much more about all of it matters. It isn't just the results, um, even though at the time there is a huge amount of pressure on that. And then you're absolutely right that, you know, the, the pressure from their peers is huge. It's that whole uh, fear of failure, not just in front of, you know, parents and family. And those of us, um, you know, who are all on social media have all done that thing of sharing our proud moments. And we, you know, they're very aware of that going on. But yes, of course, they're, they're worried about what friends will think and um, teachers who they, you know, might be also potentially feeling like they let down. And I think it's if we can have those conversations in advance, like how are you going to manage on the day? What are you going to sort of talk about? Obviously, let's hope there's lots of good news. If any of it didn't go according to plan, do you do you have any thoughts? Because there are actually so many options at that point. And of course, we can talk a bit more about, you know, where they can have a look and who can help them if things don't go according to plan. But it is so, so important that they know we're on their side. Another point, though, is my son, for example, said when we said, you know, it doesn't matter if you, you know, if you don't pass, 
or do so well. And he was like, oh, thanks for the support. You know, it can backfire that, you know, that you're saying, don't worry. It, it, it is, the, you know, we say it's not the end of the world. It is at that precise moment for them. Mm. Yeah, it's a subtlety, isn't it? I, I kind of guess I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying that it's to prepare them that whatever happens and you're not expecting uh, things to go wrong, but unexpected things happen. Life, you know, life can be unexpected. And we've all seen that with the pandemic because the message here is whatever happens, we're here alongside you. We're here to support you. And we want you to be okay to make the decisions you need to do. And that might need a bit of time, you know, don't rush straight into things. That's the problem with that results day, especially for A-levels, it all feels so pressured and time is short. And that's where teachers and careers advisors are brilliant, of course, they they absolutely are the first point of call. But it's the, the decisions that are going to be made, you're there alongside them. And, you know, think of yourself again, more as a coach than than trying to, you know, make the decisions for them. Of course, we're, we're just there to help. But they're going to need a bit of space to get over any potential disappointment. And then they're going to move forward because life always moves forward. You cannot stop time. So it's really important for them to realize that, you know, you're there with them and it does matter and you recognize how much it matters to them. But you're there to help. I guess that validates their feeling, that their feelings matter, that yes, it's not, it's extremely disappointing. And I agree, yeah, we've got to recognise that feeling of disappointment and empathise mm-hmm. with their feeling at that stage, because it's too easy to just say, yes, but it'll be fine. You know, you're going to go somewhere else. You won't remember all this. It'll be a blip in your in your rear view mirror at one stage. But at that moment, it is so painful and so mm. disillusioning and so insurmountable in many ways that I think you have to, I don't know, give it a little bit of air mm. just to allow them to yes. work through those emotions. Gosh, I'm sounding like a therapist. Yeah. Not a therapist, <laughs> not a therapist. But I do think, you know, just putting the Band-Aid on is not enough. You kind of have to to live it with them a bit. I think the worry is that if, you know, you say, oh, don't worry, try this course apply for this do that go to a different university you spent all that time before thinking about which university you know they, they thought which university they want to go to which course they want to do and then they suddenly get oh, I want to go to this because I want to get into university or parents push you know that's what we've got to be aware of that we don't mm. push them into that no and then they hate it when they get there because there was a reason why they chose where they wanted to go to and which course they wanted to do yeah um, and so it can be really helpful if they Uh, When they feel able to hear it, because obviously it may not be in the the first few minutes or 24 hours, but if conversations can happen around how, you know, the the fact that sometimes when things happen that didn't go according to plan, they end up taking you somewhere that's really exciting or different. And it just, it may not feel like that right now. And when I give my talks to sixth formers, I often mention how I went to an interview And there were six of us for five places to do paediatrics. And I was the only one who walked back to the car without a job. And at that point, I thought, oh, what what am I going to do? And by the way, I've discussed this particular story on Radio 4 and had people call me up and go, I never knew that. But yeah, we don't always share our failures. But actually, I walked back to the car, thought, what am I going to do? Went back to work in A&E and there was a poster on the wall for Rally International. And I thought, well, I've got nothing else to do now. So I did that and it was genuinely one of the best things I've ever done. And I think if we can 
talk about those sorts of things where you know there's a branch in the path and we follow a different uh, branch of the path it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing because what we are doing when we're talking to our teens is we're talking to somebody who for no, this is not a blame thing this is how their brains are they have black and white thinking it's a part of being a teen and everything is always you know awesome or awful it's one extreme or the other they haven't yet necessarily got the subtleties of thinking to understand that this might actually be okay. This might take you something to somewhere interesting. We have to help them consider that option. But as you say, you know, you've we've got to frame it in a way that is supportive and understands, doesn't negate what they're feeling. That's really helpful advice. Give them some space. And then after they've had some space, look at the constructive ways that you can then look at this life pivot and see where it takes them. But you say space, how long would you say? You know, when you said a few minutes, a few hours, because we know that with clearing in the UK, it's... Time it's, is of the essence. It is, yeah. yeah. So you almost need to yeah. you know, have not quite a speed dial to the particular universities, but have the phone numbers ready. Yeah, so do you think having a plan A? Yeah. Plan A is yeah. wonderful, so, darling. Yeah. You know, mm. you've got into this university. I'm so proud. Mm. Proud of you anyway. Plan B? still proud if you don't get in here's the steps we should take so you've got plan a plan b believe in you either way but we we're ready and waiting for either popping the champagne or having a cup of tea going over it and (laughs) then getting down to business yeah it may be that you'll know best your child about whether you talk overtly about plan b so i think having plan b is not a bad idea i think whether you discuss it as such will depend on how uh fragile your your young person is so if if you can have a conversation with them that isn't necessarily saying what's your plan b but says what is it that you particularly think is going to be great you know when you get there uh, it would be helpful wouldn't it to have some idea of what their priorities are without necessarily framing it as just in case it all goes wrong <laughs> what is it we're focusing on i think that you're right there are ways that you you could have those conversations very subtly and then of course you know you can't give them days and days and days to think about it unless they decide to take a gap year which is one of the best ways to manage such disappointment it it, it sort of answers or it's a win-win, isn't it? Because you get so much out of a gap year. You can earn money, you can travel, you can meet people, you can get job experience. But it also allows you to do resits or reapply, but with different grades. So I have to say gap year is probably my favourite answer to all of these things. But should you wish to, you can go into clearing and talk to UCAS and all of that. And in fact, you can talk to your own uh, university choices. But those, as you said, other things they can look up on these uh, website and resources I'll send through. So our our youngsters are uh, leaving home. They're leaving the school that they've been in possibly for quite a few years. They're leaving their friend group. They might be immensely popular. They might be under the radar. They might be star of the track team. When you take them out of their school environment and they're going to college or university, that is quite a hard transition from being a big fish to a little fish. Any suggestions on how they can approach that? Because... I can imagine it's quite smack in the face to their confidence. It can be, but I'd say there are two or three things that are actually really great about that. Number one is you can reinvent yourself. So, you know, there is something about stepping back from the pressure, perhaps, of being a big fish and mingling in 
into the crowd and deciding who you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to be known for. And it might be something completely different. Um, It might be something similar and that's fine. Then you'll be very clear on what you're going to try and uh, achieve when you get there. But it absolutely can be a positive. So it's, it's a really great time for young people to be themselves and to, you know, maybe discover new opportunities, new beliefs, new things that they want to do. So I always think, Let's not think of it as a bad thing, but actually as a new opportunity. That's yeah. that's a brilliant answer because, mm. you know, if you've been playing football since the age of four, right up to when you graduate, maybe you're disenchanted with playing football. Maybe you want to try playing the piano or being in a band. You're, you're so right. That reinvention opportunity, it's it's right there at that pivot point as you, as you change into a bigger organisation. I know for my son, he went from... He was a fairly smart kid with lots of other smart kids and he did like a lot of musicals and things. And he went to university in the States. The thing that he found such a transition and such a joy was the inspiration from being in a bunch of kids who all had the same drive, the same choices. You know, they all had chosen to go to, in Mm. his case, Georgetown. And they were all there for the same reasons. And he really bounced off of their enthusiasm and energy. And it was a very different crowd. He became a much more, I would say, well, we also had COVID, but he was able to be much more outward going because he was with his tribe. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And they will find their tribe at uni. And that's something that we don't emphasize enough when people feel worried about going off and meeting all these new people. The whole point is you've now got a whole new shoal of fish to swim in. And it's true. And it's also if you're not so confident at school and you maybe got into a, a bad group of people or just the teachers don't necessarily think you're the best kid in, on the block. Yeah, you've, got boxed. you've got you've got the mm. chance to start again and, and just it's just new. You can be who, who you want to be or who you may not even be that person, but you become that person. Yeah, it's time to shake off the labels, isn't yeah. it? Some parents are only micromanagers, their child's structure and, and activities and homework and, and aims, perhaps. Parking that helicopter and allowing them some freedom and independence to go and make some mistakes safely, uh, but just to explore being more independent. Any advice on how to let go? Uh, it's absolutely a really important bit of them leaving uh, home is the parents and family being able to take that step back and hopefully uh, take pride in the fact that you've got them that far, you've done a great job, but the whole point is if you've done a great job, they should be able to do this bit themselves now with you alongside. So, you know, we can't be doing it for them. They have to do it for themselves. And there are all sorts of types of uh, parent, helicopter parents, snowplow parents, and uh, I've heard all sorts of lawnmower parents. I think it kind of depends where you live and what the climate's like. But it's all about taking that step back, recognising that you've done a lot of hard work up to that point, And now, you see what they can do. You kind of release them into the wild and see how they fly. And the thing is, they will astonish you. They will be amazing, but you have to give them the space to do that and not for them to be constantly worried what you'll say, how you'll react, or that you'll know, you know, you don't want them thinking that you're just going to fix it all if it does go wrong. The whole point is that they should be allowed to fail spectacularly if they need to, because that means they tried a course or a module or a job and it just didn't work out. 
but they've done it and that we celebrate that bit and then move on. So I talk about moving from, you know, perhaps being more involved to just being the safe harbour where they come back to. They need to be able to know that no matter what happens, you are the reliable bit, the bit that they can come back to and be safe in. But they have to be able to go out there and try stuff. Oh, I love that metaphor of being a safe harbour. They can always come back to us and usually do with their laundry and huge appetites. Dr Thompson has a wealth of information on her Buzz website at buzzconsulting.co.uk and you can find a free downloadable guide on empty nesting at her Two Women Chatting website www.twowomenchatting.com But before they go, there are some essential conversations that you really need to have. It might be awkward, but there are red flags that you just have to talk about. We call them the three S's. Sextortion is on the rise. If you don't know what that is, Google it and prepare to be horrified. Young people are being coerced by others, be it boys or girls from their peer group or organised criminal gangs. The FBI have got a national campaign to raise awareness, whilst the National Crime Agency in the UK give out guidelines to young people to help advise and protect. But please, please talk to your kids about this so that they know if it happens to them, they can always turn to you. Boys are equally as vulnerable and too many kids have ended up self-harming, having breakdowns or tragically committing suicide. We talked to Roxy Longworth about her experience of being coerced by an older boy to share explicit photos. We recorded an Atar podcast about the dangers of sexting and sextortion. Do check it out, it's really good. There are huge consequences if your young adult coerces a minor. Even if they receive explicit photos without requesting them, they should delete them immediately and never, ever distribute them further. Police can get involved, and if they have future enhanced background checks, it could be flagged. Here's Roxy telling us more. So I started getting messages from a much older guy. He was 17 at the time. And, yeah, I was flattered. So, And, yeah, I was a bit excited. Like, he was older and popular and quite attractive and he was really quickly asking for photos there was just a huge amount of pressure he said everybody was doing it so if I didn't that was weird and um so eventually I did I mean I said no for a long time I really did it was it just built up it was it was huge um and then he I got a text from his friend a few weeks later asking for photos. I didn't know who he was, didn't respond. And when I didn't reply, he sent photos of me, of myself back to me. And that was just, yeah. And were you able to tell friends about what was happening to you or did you keep it all to yourself? I made it clear to my friends that I was talking to this, to the first guy. Um, I th- they, you know, they were quite, some of them were quite impressed. He wa- He was older. But no, I never, I never told them the, of the extent of the pressure. I mean, because the, the, the second guy then used the photos he already had of me to then threaten me into sending more and more explicit things, saying that if I didn't, he would send them around the school. And that's when I had lost, I mean, I had just lost, completely lost all control. Like the parents think that there's a type of person that will send a photo. There's a type, you know, there's a type of person that would pressure and, you know, that's not, that's not their kids, but like, I'm really hoping that I'm showing that it could be literally anyone. I mean, 
I mean, if someone had told me, if it, someone had told me two a, a year before that it was going to be me, I would have laughed in their face. Like, are you joking? No. What? I was 14 and I thought my life was completely over. I mean, it seemed impossible to rebuild any kind of like happy life, to have to friends, to finish school seemed completely out of reach. And so I also hope that doing this shows anyone who's had a similar thing with photos happening or, or self-harming or has any kind of mental health issues that you actually can, you know, rebuild this. Life. I mean, it takes a lot of work, like really hard work, years. It's lonely, but it's possible. It really, like, mm. which I did, didn't, I did, I really didn't feel like it was. We only wish that nail polish that could detect drugs in drinks had made it to large scale production. Unfortunately, it didn't, but there are other products out there that can help. And we've got a PDF guide on our website on what to look out for and what to do if your drink is spiked. Suzanne Baum, celebrity journalist, tells us about the spiking incident that happened to her son. Yes, it happens to boys too. A lot. So I've got um, three boys, two of whom are at university, and I was quite aware of the spiking incidents that were going on on campus because, you know, they were all over the news at the time. So a lot of my friends that have girls were starting to get a bit worried. It would be a topic of conversation at dinner parties. But you never think it would happen to the boys. Maybe that was just me being naive or, you know, never really hearing about it until I started to hear of the odd case of a guy getting spiked. And then out the blue... Sadly, my middle son, who's 20 and at Leeds, had a spiking incident, which basically threw us all off course, because I think we'd been so focused on, you know, COVID on campus, they'd got through that. Then there was this huge thing about spiking. And what happened was he, unlike the other cases of spiking, he was actually in um, a friend's house party. So it wasn't even like he would gone to a nightclub or had gone to a bar, you know, where the kids are sensible enough. I presume most of the kids know, you know, they cover their cups, they don't leave their cups. That's sort of been instilled into us forever. But he went to a house party where, you know, you wouldn't think it would happen. But unlike bars, there's no bouncers on the door. You feel you're at a house party where you know everyone. And the next thing he knew, he was with a mate and I didn't get a call initially because I don't think the kids wanted to bother us and, you know, didn't really understand what was going on. And my son started to feel dizzy, kind of fell to the floor, managed to get a friend to take him outside. He didn't lose consciousness, but the friend had to literally get him back to his student digs where he was totally out of it. He wasn't drunk, you know, the only thing he remembers was he had a bottle of beer. And so he just guessed that, you know, he must have been spiked. I did obviously as a journalist myself, then went down the route, I need to find out what the hell's gone on here. You know, I never mentioned my son's name. You know, he didn't want me to cause any drama around it. But the main thing for me was this cannot happen again. And people need to know, you know, you might be at a house party, but on a university campus house party, you're not necessarily going to know everybody. After my research and, you know, my investigative skills and I went to the police, they said it was random acts of people that were going into house parties and spiking guys, you know, gay men, basically, which made me feel sick. So he 
took a couple of days to rest. We said we'd come up and get him from university. And he basically came home and went to bed for a couple of days. He looked white. He wasn't uh, mentally affected by it, actually, because he's been through a lot with other things. But physically, I think it was just a bit of a shock. I then sort of looked back at research on spiking, and the majority obviously is women, but there's cases of men that really go unnoticed. It's so important. You know, we, we lived in Singapore for a while and, you know, the reputation of Singapore is there's no drugs, there's no crime, but there is, there's low crime and there is some drugs. And my daughter got spiked in a nightclub and she was devastated by it. She went to a friend's house, had no recollection, lost all coordination of her, of her legs and arms and collapsed in the street, left the house, had the amnesia. I couldn't find her. I was trying to track her, but somebody had taken her phone. So that was for more criminal intent, but fortunately had a good friend who stayed with her. But she ended up, well, I won't go into it too much because honestly it was quite emotional. She she arrived home in the morning having come all over the island to try and get home without money, with no shoes on, a gash on her leg, and she had no recollection. And I... I was so worried about her, I took her straight off to hospital. But then, being in Singapore, I thought, oh my God, if she does have any drugs in her system, the consequences to our family as well, not just to to my daughter, would be, we could literally be chucked out. You know, bye-bye, off you go. Whole family would have to leave because they are so strict. So I never found out, but I, it's very clear to me that she was roofied. And of course, it doesn't stay in your bloodstream for very long. So even though we spent six hours in a women's hospital waiting for her blood test results and for the police to arrive, in the end, I'm like, no, we're out of here. Let's just deal with this at home. But it, it ended up with her being extremely anxious and never wanting to have too much drink that she was out of control. And we all know it can be one beer. It can be one, one drink, can't it? And finally, the really awkward chat about sexual consent. Not sex. By now, we're pretty sure that your kid is more than aware of what it is. We're not talking the birds and the bees. Find a good moment, stay calm and positive, and encourage your teen to talk as much as they listen. Try not to make it a lecture. If they got into college, they're certainly old enough to have ideas of their own, so we need to respect their intelligence. You need to let them know that they don't have to have sex if they don't want to. That no means no, whether that's verbal or non-verbal. And make sure they know that alcohol is never an excuse. Perhaps they could consider a buddy system when they go to parties. It's all right to say you'd be cross and disappointed in your teen if they had sex just to show off or took advantage of someone in any way. It might seem like they're not listening, but they are, trust me. Of course, if they're thinking about sex, then they need to be thinking about protection too. Not just from getting pregnant, but getting STDs, which are on the rise. As embarrassing as it is, better to broach that topic now and not when it's too late, right? Resources and ideas for getting those conversations started are on our website. A big cause of friction can be communication. Talk it through with your son or daughter before they go. What is a fair expectation? Once a day? Probably not. Once a week on a certain day that works for you all? Occasional texts? Everyone is different. And let's face it, genders are different. But you need to agree in advance what is expected. But be reasonable. They'll have a lot going on in their lives, so every day might not be possible. 
but if you need to get a message to them urgently that you know they'll see, what platform should it be on? Text, WhatsApp, Snapchat or email? Think about getting an app like Life360 where, with their agreement, you can track their phones so you can at least go to bed knowing roughly where they are. But be warned, they might track you just as much as you're tracking them. And strangely, it gives them a bit of comfort knowing we're out and about getting on with our life once they've gone. Grades and results are another tricky one. Striking a balance between being really supportive if they need a bit of help, especially if they're neurodiverse or getting sick whilst they're away and letting them have some autonomy. Different colleges have different policies. In the UK, parents generally don't have access to them, but in the US, you might need to ask your student to let you have permission to see the grades, or you might just have to trust them to work hard, play hard, discover that there's a life balance. But do have the conversation before the argument. We all worry about stresses and pressures getting older, or the way we socialise or are perceived by peers. But when's the right time to step in on mental health issues? Hopefully you will have agreed on a fair communication timetable, so you might pick up cues. Getting dates on the calendar for a face-to-face check-in once or twice a term, if geographically possible, is a good idea too. If you have the resources, suggest they bring a few of their closest friends out for lunch or dinner. On you, of course, there has to be an incentive, whether that's McDonald's or a fancy restaurant. You'll see how they get on with their new friends. And if they don't invite anyone, it might mean they're still fitting in and it would be good to see a friendly family face. During the registration process, colleges and universities will generally expect a health history, but they may not insist on a vaccination for meningitis B. Now, this is your choice with your child, so please, please do the research, as it can literally be the difference between life and death, as Michelle Bresnahan, founder of A Life for a Cure, told us. Hi there, I'm Michelle Bresnahan and I'm the founder of our charity, A Life for a Cure, that we set up in memory of our most fabulous son, Ryan Bresnahan, who lost his life when he was just 16. It was his birthday, his 16th birthday, a couple of weeks before. He lost his life within a couple of hours to meningitis B. Rise was the most wonderful person to be around never mind being my son he was just such a wonderful person to be with funny caring kind he wasn't ill he was at the gym the night before he died and just woke up the next morning saying he was incredibly tired which wasn't a surprise he just finished a really busy school term before his GCSE revision and examinations and he just said he was re- felt really, really tired. And I actually popped out to get him some Lucasade and we had a bit of a joke. He was always very, gosh, he was so generous in his affection towards me and, and anyone he cared for. And unfortunately, that was the last time I spoke to him. I returned about an hour later and found his dear sister, my amazing daughter Charlotte, on the doorstep Um, She was 13 at the time and she'd had to phone the ambulance. The paramedics were actually at the bottom of our drive and said, you know, are you Michelle? Are you Ryan's mother? Immediately when you see, obviously, that uniform, complete panic. And um, they said, "We, we think Ryan has suspected meningitis. The helicopter arrived with a doctor and they did take him to the Bristol Royal Infirmary. But unfortunately, there was, there was nothing they could do for him. 
So as you can imagine, our, our world flipped within a couple of hours. Too much of a loss to do nothing about it. So we, we set up a Life Recure uh, actually within a couple of months and focused it on aiming the information at the 15 to 24 year old group, which is the second at risk age group that can contract meningitis. There are two vaccines to protect you. If you can, just just make that informed decision yourself. So there's the ACWY that you get at school. Please check if you know any young young adult, please check they've had it before they go to university or whatever. And then there's the meningitis B, uh, which is what Ryan had, which has only been in existence since 2015. So we didn't have that option. So again, I would always say, inquire about it, make an informed decision about it. Obviously, there is a cost involved. And my side kind of um, differentiating between the two is that meningitis B, you have to buy it. So when people's children go to school, even friends of mine who have come to all our events and they say, oh, Michelle, we've had our vaccine, you know, such and such is protected. I said, but but there's two vaccines. Please don't think that that's it, that you're completely covered. If if you know someone who is going to university in September, September is looming very, very quickly. Do it now because it's not always easy to get appointments. They need to do it when they're at home with a bit of bit of a nudge from their parents. So that's really key. Vaccinations are mentioned every day in the media now, which obviously when we when we lost Rise, it was barely a word barely mentioned. So it's just having that knowledge of what is available and making your decision and then actually doing something about it. The symptoms, which is why prevention is why we kind of angled our focus on the prevention with the vaccines. That was our kind of first focus to get that out in the in the marketplace because the symptoms, you know, in Ryan's case and Ryan's case was exceptional. I must emphasize that. But he just had a bad stomach and a headache and was tired. There was, you know, you know, your children better than any anyone else in the world. The rash that people often relate to meningitis doesn't is possibly one of the last things that's seen. There could be other signs like a, a stiff neck, vomiting, cold hands and feet might be another sign, confusion. These can be so many symptoms of, you know, freshest flu when they're when they're run down at uni, hangovers, now COVID. So I would say be aware of those signs and symptoms definitely before you another thing for your little preparation list if you are going for university is to have the conversations with your family and your loved ones about those symptoms and when you're there look out for your mates and if you're worried about anything call 111 and get some advice because how quickly you treat any illness is obviously paramount it's how you react in a panic situation as well. So if there is something bedded in a little further than the front of your brain about something about the symptoms that you've read or um, meningitis now have really clear symptoms cards. We have fridge magnets that can go on the fridges at uni 
which are brilliant. So there's just that trigger point of, okay, this, this may not just be a hangover or flu. It is, it is just thinking that there may be something else. If one person listens to this and uh, takes action and is, is more informed about meningitis than they were before, then that's, that's worth everything to us as, as Ryan's family. There are a number of effective vaccines for meningitis. For example, I know that GSK makes Menvio for children around the world. We know it's the last thing you want to think about, but it's so important to have a medical power of attorney in place. A medical power of attorney allows an adult, the college student, to appoint an agent, for example you, to make medical decisions in the event that the patient is unable to make those decisions for himself or herself. The form can become effective immediately, but more often is written to become effective only when the patient is deemed incapacitated by a physician. It's horrible, 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 but you do need to think about it in advance. Deciding on a budget of allowance, above and beyond tuition and accommodation fees, can be really, really tricky. Ultimately, it depends on your resources and whether you expect your student to get a part-time job or use their savings or get a loan. We've got lots of ideas and planning tools on our website. Do you know, it's not a bad idea to sit down with them and tell them exactly what they're responsible for. Haircuts, meals out, travel, makeup, clothes. Agreeing on those details before they leave for college will really help avoid a lot of those arguments and miscommunication later. Food for thought, huh? Hope there's something in here that will help you smooth that transition. And here's a final tip. Don't forget the waterproof mascara and tissues for drop-off day. Download the second podcast in this special series for some more great tips and ways to start embracing this new chapter. Check out Two Women Chatting's first season for podcasts on all kinds of relevant topics. So please do check out our website for lots of resources, links and free downloadable guides. Go to www.twowomenchatting.com. So join us on the sofa anytime. You're always welcome. We talk to celebrity guests, experts and friends about midlife matters and anything that affects us, our family and our friends. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages.